Thank you, Brother Mitchell. <laughs> Amen. I feel good in Jesus this morning, do you? Amen. I feel kind of uh, resurrected myself this morning. Amen. I think I'll just hang on to this thing this morning. Uh, I want to... I'm going to endeavor, rather, this morning to make a simple subject as complicated as possible. And in doing a study, we're going to talk on the subject of sanctification this morning. And I had a very unique experience while I was putting this uh, lesson together. I think I got sanctified. Amen. <laughs> so this morning, let's open, uh, let's open up and get some uh, response on... Uh, what are we talking about when we're talking about sanctification? Now, you've talked about the different facets of redemption and salvation. I've missed a lot of what you've uh, spoke on, but this, I think, will tie in all together what we've been covering uh, lately with Brother Mitchell. Now, if I was to ask you this morning, what do you think it means to be sanctified? Uh, what would you say? Somebody want to share on that? Paul, way over there. To be set apart. Somebody else? Sister? Means to be holy. Who else would uh, uh, give us a response? What does it mean to be sanctified? Somebody else? Living a clean life before God. Anybody else? To purify by God and who's... Justification, is that what, what you're saying there? Okay, somebody else? Continuous growth. Okay, somebody else want to add any more? Uh, what are we talking about? We're talking about sanctification. Okay, it's separation from this world for God's express purpose. Now, this morning as we uh, uh, got some feedback on sanctification, I think almost everybody's touched on the truth of what it means to be sanctified. I need some scriptures this morning before we launch off. Who will get me Exodus 13.2? Somebody get that for me. Sister Burgess, who will get uh, Jeremiah 1.5? Bill and Danny Brown, would you get John uh, 3.36? Now, the word uh, sanctification literally means, as many have already guessed or said or through their own studies, it means to separate or to set apart from the world and to consecrate unto God. To sanctify anything is to declare that it belongs to God. Now, sanctification is an act of separating. All right. Somebody uh, read out loud Exodus 13, 2. Whoever got that? Sister Burgess. Okay. Uh, some, somebody got Exodus 13, 2. Okay. Okay. Sanctify the firstborn of Israel. Now, here we see an example of people 
being separated or sanctified and considered uh, uh, holy unto the Lord. He said, you separate me, all the firstborn, whether of man or beast, uh, in, the, in the nation of Israel, you separate them unto me. Now, who had Jeremiah 1, uh, 5? Okay, here's the prophet Jeremiah. God said, before you were born, Jeremiah, I sanctified you, or I separated you. I set you apart for my own purpose and my own divine use. Now, who has John Danny Brown? John 10, 36. Okay, here the Father sent His Son. He set Him apart. He sanctified Jesus for His own purpose, the purpose of redemption. So when we're talking about the word sanctification, we're literally talking about to separate from the world, to set something apart for God's own use and for His own purpose. Now there's a secondary meaning to this uh, word sanctification, which means to cleanse. Somebody get Second Chronicles 29... 18 and 19 real quickly for me. Who'll get that for me? Okay, uh, brother, would you get that? Second Chronicles 29, 18 and 19. <clears throat> this morning, uh, as, as soon as we lay down this foundation of what we're going to do in, in sanctification, I want to compare... The act of sanctification with personal holiness, and then we're going to uh, move right on into the meat of the lesson. So be patient with me while we lay a little bit of a foundation here. Brother, would you read that out real loud so everybody can hear it, please? Uh, the example of the cleansing, the uh, act of sanctification is found in Second Chronicles 29, 18 and 19. Okay, now here's a story of a wicked king in Israel who uh, didn't seek the Lord, who gave himself over to the worship of idols, who despised the things of God. And uh, the Bible tells us that he took the implements or the vessels of the temple and he defiled them. He cast them out, he despised them. But here we have his son, Hezekiah, who is ruling in his stead, who loved the Lord, who worshipped him. And here we see them going through the process of sanctifying these temple implements again, that they might be holy and be used in the work of the Lord. Now, something that you need to uh, take note of in this truth this morning is that these vessels, which were used for the worship of the Lord in the temple were sanctified, that is, they were consecrated for the worship of the Lord. And they could not be used for any other purpose. They had one purpose, and that was to fulfill their function of worship in the temple. Okay, everybody understand that? Now, uh, they were created for one purpose. And that was to be used as implements of worship in that temple. That was the reason of their creation. Now, when these things were defiled, 
through no fault of their own, they had to be sanctified or set apart again. And this uh, sanctification was not only did they take again these vessels which had been despised and, and brought them into the temple, but they went through a ritual cleansing of these things and preparing them that they might be used again in the temple. So we see a twofold meaning in the, in the uh, word sanctification. It's not only to set apart, to separate and to consecrate uh, as holy unto God, but it's also there's an act of cleansing in it. Now I know that there's a lot of doctrines that go around today about sanctification and, and I'm sure that uh, if you've been saved any length of time or, or if you've ever gone to any other church, there's probably as many ideas about what sanctification is uh, uh, as there is uh, any dispute over any other doctrine. But sanctification is really a very simple thing. It simply means that we're set apart and that we're being cleansed for the use of, of uh, God's own purpose. I heard somebody say one time that uh, uh, sanctification was uh, an act that took place at a certain period in their, uh, uh, their life uh, as a believer. Uh, they were saved and they were wretched and miserable for, for uh, years and years and years. But suddenly by an act uh, uh, of God and, and, and uh, uh, response in their own uh, behalf of themselves, uh, they were sanctified. Something happened. And from that moment on, they were pure of heart and holy uh, unto God. And, and that's how they were sanctified. But I don't believe that. <laughs> Amen. I'm sanctified this morning. Glory to God. Now before we get into uh, that, I'm getting a little ahead of myself. We need to uh, look at the difference between sanctification and holiness. This is where it gets a, a little confusing because when we study the word holiness, what would you say holiness meant? Somebody tell me. What, if, if I said, uh, give me a definition of holiness, what would you say? Without sin. That's what I would probably say. Uh, brother? God's own property. That's real good. Amen. Uh, sister? Means to be like God. Somebody else? Brother? To be totally submitted to the will of God. Sister Burgess? A pure life. Okay, everybody would agree uh, as touching uh, in this area somewhere, that's how we define holy. But holiness, all these things are entailed in holiness, but uh, uh, holiness literally means the same as sanctification in one sense. It means that which is separated or rendered sacred, consecrated, devoted, and set apart for divine use. Whatever is set apart for God has to be consistent with the nature of God. And that is in some way to portray the purpose and character of God. Now this is a definition of holiness. Now notice that in our definition of sanctification, if we can get this straight this morning, we won't have any more uh, confusion over the issue. To be sanctified is the act that makes us holy, the act of setting us apart. To be holy is to be separated for God's use. To be holy is to take on the nature of God or begin to have the, uh, God's nature reflected in us. And portraying uh, the nature of God and to see God's purpose and character worked in us, okay? Amen. Now, anybody want to add anything to what I've said this morning? Sister? 
Amen. Okay, First Peter fifteen sixteen says, But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. Now, this is what our sister over here said. Now, God said, Because I'm a holy God, it's necessary for you to be a holy people. In other words, as the people of God, we're to reflect God's divine nature. Everybody agree with that? Okay, God has called us. Uh, we have a little trouble with that sometimes. God has called us to portray His purpose in the earth and to reflect what He is. See, the Bible says we're living epistles, amen? amen. And people are reading you and I. If they're going to know anything about God, if they're going to know about the reality of His Spirit and the redemption that we found in Jesus Christ, they're going to have to see it in you and I. You see, there's a lot of people that are uh, in the world today that are giving out all kinds of religious raps. There are people that uh, uh, can spout Scripture uh, uh, and, and until it just flows out of their, uh, their mouth. But you see, people don't buy it because there's no lifestyle that portrays and convinces them that they've had an encounter with this God they claim to represent. Now, if we're to ever be effective instruments and vehicles in the kingdom of God, we're going to have to understand that it's necessary for you and I to be holy as our God is holy. Now, some of you have discovered you have a problem already. Amen. Amen. I read that scripture one time. Uh, it says, uh, Be ye perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. And I said, There's no sense in me going on. It's all over for me. How could I possibly be perfect like God? How could you be perfect like God? Somebody want to tell us this morning and light us a little bit? Lord, help us. Nobody knows, sister. Okay, he has done what? He has sanctified us. Amen. Danny, you want to add something to that? Amen. He has sanctified us. This is what they're saying this morning, sister. Amen. Okay. You're getting ahead of me. Amen. I'm going to have to get some of you people up here to teach this. Amen. But that's right. That's, that's uh, essentially what we're trying to say this morning. There's a place where God had to sanctify. That is, set you and I apart and cleanse us for His own use beyond our own ability to do that for ourselves. Now, you discussed that in uh, what area? The area of redemption, right? The area of justification. Somebody want to add something and uh, share with us on that this morning before we move on? Come on, give me a break this morning. I need help. I haven't done this in a long time. Brother Ike? Okay. Okay, now as Brother Ike said and my sister over here says, there's 
there's a uh, two-faceted, two uh, or two-fold, rather, uh, uh, deal that's going on sanctification. Number one, God has sanctified us. Number two, we're required to sanctify ourselves. Amen? Okay, so there's a process of, of sanctification that's taking place right now in our lives. Okay, now let's clarify what we're saying this far this morning. Okay, to be holy means to set apart for divine use and to live a life consistent with the nature of God. Amen? Is that a good definition? To be set apart and live, uh, to be set apart for divine use and to live a life consistent with the nature of God. Somebody that's walking in the flesh obviously is not going to be a good example of what is uh, holy or what is portraying the divine nature of God. Amen? You can't steal or you can't lie or you can't uh, uh, live an apathetic, lukewarm life and portray the holiness of God. You can't be a disinterested uh, 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 Oh, I could get a whole stream of, of uh, insinuations that I'd like to throw out sometimes this morning, but, but you just can't uh, be an apathetic Christian. You can't be a lukewarm individual. You can't be dabbling and living consistently in sin and portray the nature and character of God. Amen? You can't be holy in that purpose. Now, I understand this morning that each one of us has little frailties and little problems that we've got to deal with. And this covers in the process of sanctification that we're going to get into in a moment. That's being worked out in us. But if we're to be a holy people of God, we're obligated to portray the nature of the God that we serve. Amen. I was reading a little scripture uh, in my studies last night. That was talking, Paul was talking to the church and he was saying, Now look at some of you brothers and sisters. He said, Here you'll take one another to court and you'll sue one another in front of all the heathen, and they're looking at you, cutting each other's throats, and they're saying, Now is that what their God's all about? He said, Wouldn't it be better if you suffered wrong? Would it be better to. Uh, uh, take a little bit of a loss for the kingdom's sake rather than bring reproach on the kingdom? Amen. You see, uh, when a brother sins against us, the Bible says we ought to forgive him, pray for him, go to him, talk to him about it, and see if we can get the things straightened out. Amen. If we don't do that, the Bible says we're not uh, portraying or obeying the, uh, the, the Christ-like way that, uh, uh, or lifestyle that's been imparted to us through Jesus. Now, obviously, if you go to your brother and try to make things right and he won't straighten them out, then the Bible has a remedy for that too. Bring him before the church. Let the church judge him. If he won't straighten out, boot that booger out. <laughs> Amen. You know, the Bible is really explicit and plain. You know, it has an answer for all our problems. But we have to learn to portray the nature of Christ. Yes. Amen. How can we be holy and run around and act like the devil all week? And then sit in church, you know, and, and pretend to be pious. That's the greatest sin uh, of the religious world today. They're very holy and set apart on Sunday. 
the rest of the week, you'd never, you'd never be able to tell that they were a child of God or that they ever been to church in their lifetime. Got them old cigarettes hanging out of their mouth. Got that alcohol on their breath. Telling those dirty stories out on the job with the rest of the boys. You'd never know that they were affiliated with a holy God. Holiness means to be set apart. You see, if the Bible is calling you and I to holiness, that means that you and I are to become holy vessels to God. We're not our own. We can't be used for something else. I like that. I hate teaching, but I love preaching, and I feel like preaching now. Amen. <laughs> Do you realize that God has set you apart for His own purpose? You know, we come in a lot of times, don't we? We, we like to come into church, and, and uh, uh, we like to uh, listen and, and, and see God moving uh, uh, in everybody else's life. And we like to say, isn't that wonderful what God's doing over in sister so-and-so's life? And isn't that great what God is doing with these young men? And, and God's doing some just beautiful things. I'm so glad that they're holy vessels under the Lord. But what about you? Well, wait a minute now. Not me. You know, I, I, you know uh, uh, I've got this uh, thing that I want to do. And it's not consistent with what God might want to do with my life. You see, if we're saved, beloved, we're not our own. Does the Bible say that anywhere? We don't belong to us. We don't make all the decisions. We don't just do whatever we feel like doing. But we have been set apart. We have been sanctified. That is, God has picked us up and set us apart for His own divine use. I read a beautiful illustration of that. There was this connoisseur of fine uh, brass rummaging around in an eastern uh, junkyard somewhere over like uh, uh, in the Mideast. And he was rummaging through this garbage and and, 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 you know, you thought, well, here's a connoisseur of, of fine art and, and, and a collector of fine brass. What in the world is he doing over in a junkyard of all places? A man of his prestige and standing rummaging around in there. Did you see this fine uh, art connoisseur as he was rummaging through all the junk? His eye, which was trained, fastened upon a vessel of brass. When he saw that vessel, he understood that this vessel was, was uh, no ordinary thing, but this was fine brass. This was high-quality stuff. And he went over and he picked it out of that garbage and he set it aside. And then he went about his searching again. What did he do when he set that aside? He said, here's something that my eye tells me is valuable for my purposes. And he sanctified it. He reached out, he picked it out, and he set it apart. Now, anybody else would look at that and they'd see this old pot. Probably looked like an old brass teapot. It was dented. It was green. How many sailors we got in here? Anybody was ever in the Navy? How many of you remember polishing the brass? <laughs> Go out to sea and we'd have all these brass uh, goodies on the ship and that salt water would get on them and they'd turn green and dull and ugly. And that old boatswain mate... Uh, uh, First class would stand out there with a whip in his hand and say, Harris, get the brasso out and start polishing. <laughs> that was the Navy's version of sad sack when I was in there. Standing there, cursing the day I was born. That was before I was saved. Polishing that miserable brass. 
ugly old stuff, dull, but you know, I, it always amazed me when you put the brass over that stuff and begin to rub it and polish it, boy, it begin to shine like gold. That old green stuff would come off of it. I imagine that's the way that pot looked when that master of the fine arts found it. He picked it out. He said, here's something that I see is valuable. Somebody's cast it off. Somebody hasn't recognized its worth, but it's made of fine metal. And look at the craftsmanship. Oh, yeah, it's, it's dirty and it's tarnished and it's dented and, and it's broken in places. But with a little workmanship, I can make something beautiful out of that. Amen. That's what we're talking about when we're talking about sanctification. How many of you remember when that uh, connoisseur of the fine metals found you in the garbage heap? Amen. And he picked you out. Now, obviously, when, when this uh, master picked that out, when he separated it, that meant though the thing looked unworthy, though it was worthless in its present condition, it meant that he was going to uh, uh, set it apart when he picked it out. He set it apart for his own use. But in its present condition, it was worthless. So it hadn't totally been sanctified, had it? The first step had been wrought when he picked it out of the garbage and set it aside for himself. Now, later in the day, he would take that thing home to his workshop and he began to hammer the dents out very carefully. He began to uh, solder and, and uh, the broken uh, handles back on it and, and uh, uh, polish out the chips in it and the, and the gouges and the scratches and, and he began to take off the corruption. And when he got through with that, there was a fine vessel of, of uh, uh, explicit workmanship that he had sitting in his house, a trophy. That's what sanctification, that's what we're talking about. So to be holy means that we have been set apart. It means that we are separated uh, for God's purpose. That's what we are. But sanctification is the process by which we are being made holy. Everybody understand that? If you understand that, encourage me, wave at me. If you don't understand it, listen closely. Doing the best we can. Amen. <laughs> okay, there are three phases of the sanctification we want to talk about this morning. Somebody get Romans 4, 7, and 8. Who'll do that? Okay, brother. Who'll get Ephesians 2, 8, and 9? Okay, sister. Who'll get Colossians 1, 13, and 14? Sister Mayotte. Okay, and who'll get Second Peter 1, 4? Okay, brother. Amen. Okay, we've already covered this a little bit, but I want to make this very clear this morning. All right, somebody, uh, when you read these, read them out loud so everybody can hear it. Romans 4, 7, and 8. Blessed are those whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. Amen. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. Hallelujah. Let me ask you an honest question this morning. How many of you would like the Lord to count against you, the sins that you've uh, committed in the last week. 
I think about that, you know. We come in Sunday morning, you know, and we feel pretty righteous, you know. But, but uh, you know, uh, I was reading there are sins of commission. A sin of commission is when we, we uh, uh, see a joint of marijuana laying on the sidewalk that the devil just laid there for us. And, and uh, we go over there and look over our shoulder and nobody's around and we reach down and grab it and go behind the corner and light it up. That's the sin of commission. Or when we see uh, something that isn't ours and we kind of appropriate it for our own use, that's a sin of commission. And most of us have laid down those kind of things. Amen? I hope. <laughs> and so we think we're pretty righteous. Amen? And we say, well, praise God, you know, I haven't uh, committed any real base sins lately. But then we get into the sins of omission. How many of you know what a sin of omission is? That's the thing that God said you ought to do, but you didn't do it. Now, I know none of you people are guilty of those kind of things. I know you do everything God tells you to do, but, but I've uh, neglected some of the things that God's told me to do in times past. And a sin of omission makes us just as guilty as a sin of commission. Amen. But thank God that everything, every time we, we uh, don't obey God or every time we don't step out and, and uh, do what we're supposed to, thank God He doesn't count those things. Amen. He doesn't impute those sins to us, but rather He imputes His righteousness. Now, if you've been in the class uh, for the last few uh, weeks, then you know what we're talking about when we're talking about righteousness being imputed. Amen. Blessed is he that the Lord doesn't count his iniquities. Amen. Okay. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. us into the kingdom of God. When did that happen? When did you get translated into the kingdom of God? When you got born again. Are you sure it isn't uh, uh, five years after you get saved? You're, you're translated into the kingdom of God after you've been uh, uh, sanctified and set apart? Are you sure that isn't it? The Bible says when we're born again, from that moment when God lays His hand upon us, when we make a simple response of obedience to the gospel, the Bible says He has translated us. Brother Mitchell did a whole uh, thing on that, I believe. He translated us. He shot us into the kingdom of God. He made us partakers. Even though we weren't worthy, even though we haven't proved ourselves. He's translated us into the kingdoms of God. He's made partakers of the benefits and blessings of the kingdom of God. Okay? Second uh, Peter 1, 4. By which are given unto us exceedingly great and precious promises, that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Okay? He's made us partakers of the divine nature. When does that happen? When do we become uh, partakers of the divine nature? Danny Brown, when did you take on the divine nature? When you got saved. Amen. Now, you mean you have the audacity to sit there in your seat and tell me that you have the divine nature? You? 
Danny Brown. <laughs> Amen. That's choice. Say that louder for the folks in the back. I don't think they could hear that, Danny. Amen. Being changed from glory to glory. But the moment you were born again, Danny Brown became a partaker of the divine nature. The Spirit of the Lord was active and working in his life. And he began to reflect all that God is. Now, he isn't reflecting all that God wants him to reflect. In other words, there's still a lot of work that has to be done. But what we're saying is... Danny Brown was sanctified the day he was born again when he received Jesus Christ as his Savior. In other words, there is a separation that is imparted to us. It's imputed. It's given beyond our merit. When the fine arts connoisseur went to the junkyard and he picked that pot out of the junk and separated it unto himself. This is what we mean by imputed sanctification. This is the first stage of sanctification, our setting apart for the divine use. It has nothing to do with us other than saying, God, I want to be set apart. Anybody have anything you want to comment on that? Sister? Amen. Okay, now being sanctified again means what? To be set apart. Sanctification is an obvious act that shows other people that we have been redeemed. We are the people of God. What's the use of being called the people of God if we don't show people we're the people of God? Amen? What's the use of... What's the use of uh, uh, making any claims whatsoever, going to church, if we can just be like everybody else. God says you're sanctified. You're going to be a different people. You're set apart. You come out of the world. You're not part of that world anymore. You're to be separated. Not isolated. Separated. Man, sister... Amen. That's a good thought. Amen. John the Baptist was preparing them. Sister Maya. Okay. That's the next step of what we're going to say. We've, okay. When we're saved, we're sanctified by the grace of God, aren't we? We're set apart. Now, that's what it means to be sanctified in its uh, first meaning. God has set us apart. Despite our own devices, despite our own weaknesses, despite our own frailties of character, God has set us apart because we've responded to His gospel. And He's imputed a holiness. This gives us a standing before God. This goes into the area of justification. This gives us a legal basis for coming before God, doesn't it? See, a lot of people, I hear sinners tell me all the time, Well, Brother Harris, I pray and God answers my prayer. I say, friend, I don't believe that. The Bible says God doesn't hear the prayer of sinners. Except when it's the sinner's prayer. See, <laughs> so I don't know who's working out your problems, but it isn't the same God that I serve. 
Amen. You see, when uh, uh, what it means to be sanctified uh, or have imputed sanctification is it means despite everything we can do and despite all of our inadequacies, when we have humbled ourselves before the Lord, God has imputed righteousness and has given us the right because of His own grace to stand before Him and say, I'm not guilty anymore, Lord. The price has been paid by Your Son. I have a right to stand here. That's what it means. He imputed righteousness or imputed sanctification. But now that's not the end of the story. Now there are a lot of uh, uh, brethren in the world, uh, Baptist brethren for example, who like to say that uh, once you receive this imputed holiness of Jesus, that's all it takes. No more problem. Once you're saved, you're always saved. (laughs) Go out, you know. Get drunk as a skunk once in a while, but God understands you're nervous. You know you got to have something to calm your nerves down. You got a high stress job there. You know God understands that uh, 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 you're addicted to these little vices, but but you've professed uh, belief in Jesus Christ, and you give mental assent that He's there. And after all, it's not by works of, uh, that we have done, but by His grace alone. And, and uh, uh, for by grace you're saved and not by works. Amen? So that's what they say. Once you're saved, you're always saved. But that isn't quite the story, is it? You see, by God's grace, we're given an imputed righteousness, or He hands us the first bit of sanctification and righteousness that we need, but then there's a responsibility on us. You know, if we're going to say, uh, uh, not by works if any man should boast, we're going to have to read the rest of the Scripture, which says, what? Faith without works is what? Dead. Being alone. In other words, I don't care, honey, how much faith you say you got. Let me see some of it. Amen. See, faith always motivates us to action, doesn't it? I have people that come to me all the time and say, Oh, I got faith. (laughs) Everybody's got faith if they talk about it. But it never does anybody any good until that faith is put into action. Amen. It's like saying, I got a pistol. But I ain't got no bullets. (laughs) Yes, amen. Okay. Yeah, amen. God knows my heart. Yeah, He does. That's why Jesus died on the cross. What does the Bible say about the heart of man? (laughs) Yes, it's deceitful and wicked above all things. God knows your heart. You bet He does. Amen. That's why Jesus had to die. Okay, let's move right along. Okay, so we see that God does give us a standing with Himself through imputed righteousness. He gives it to us. He sanctifies us. He separates us and sets us apart for His own use in the initial act of redemption. Okay, but then there's the second stage of sanctification, which we call progressive sanctification. Amen. I need some scriptures now. 1 Peter 1.7. Okay. Brother, you get uh, 1 Peter 4.12. 
Psalm 66.10. Who will get that for me? Sylvia, would you get that? Matthew 10.22. Okay, Bill, would you get that? Uh, James 1.12. Okay, brother, would you get that? And uh, Revelation 21.7. Amen. Let's get some new people here. You get that for me, will you, sister? Okay. All right. Progressive sanctification. This is what Sister Mayotte was talking about when we were when she was talking about a continual process. Would you care to repeat your thought on that for us, Sister? Amen. It have to keep at it. You see, brass has this quality. Uh, it's beautiful metal, but you have to constantly shine it because it's always getting dingy. And Christians are kind of that way, aren't they? They have to constantly be polished. You know, I never could fathom these people that come to church and say, wah, 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 wah. it's always the same old thing over and over and over and over. Friend, you need the same old thing over and over and over again. Amen. Hallelujah. I preach this gospel. Man, I study this book and I get into it and nothing blesses me better than to come in and hear a man of God besides myself preaching the same old stuff. Preachers get a little dingy sometimes, have to be polished. I've come in here and listened to Brother Mitchell and he's got his SOS pad out, scoured me from the top of my head to the sole of my feet. <laughs> It has to pour on the oil of the Holy Spirit before it's all over with because I'm still rare. Amen. We need that. That constant, constant uh, redeeming, cleansing process. Brother? <laughs> Amen. That's a unique example. <laughs> Praise the Lord. That's the truth. Amen. Okay. Romans 4, uh, 7 and 8. Who had Romans... Oh, I'm sorry. First Peter 1, 7. You're right. The trial of your faith is a precious thing. Now what's the trial of your faith? What do you suppose that has to do with this progressive act of sanctification? The Bible says the trial of your faith is what? Precious. Precious. How many of you had some trials in the last six months? Some really severe testings. Amen. How many of you would uh, pay cold hard cash for those things again? <laughs> the Bible says they're precious. Why are they precious, Sister Burgess? Amen. Now here's a woman who has served God for 40 years, isn't it, Sister? 47 years? That's longer than I've been alive. Praise the Lord. Now I bet you if I had $10 for every trial that this woman has been... I bet you I could go build a new church. Amen? Would you say that all those trials that you've faced 
sister in, in all of your life, would you say they've had anything to do with the molding and shaping of your character as a believer? Amen. God says they're precious. The trial of our faith is the process by which we are being sanctified. Amen? You see, the things that we suffer, we are, every time a trial comes against us, there are only two decisions to be made, really. That's to believe God or not believe God. Amen? When it boils down to that, that's what it boils down to. If we uh, will not uh, despair and throw up our hands and give up, if we'll uh, uh, rely and trust upon the Lord, we always see the answer. If we give up, we usually lose everything we have, don't we? Amen. I know every trial that I've ever faced, though many, many times I didn't understand them at the particular time, I know that it enlarged me and developed me as a person. It gave me a capacity to grow and develop to be used for God's purpose. Okay, along this same line, First uh, Peter 4.12, read it out real loud. Think it not strange when these trials come. Almost makes you think that sometimes these trials are the will of God, doesn't it? <laughs> now we didn't even get a chuckle out of that one. How many of people are going through tribulation right now? Amen. I happen to be in one of those rare, mellow periods in my life where I'm not burdened down. But I noticed some of you didn't giggle at that one. Amen. Lord bless you. You know, that's, that's cold when you... When somebody says, maybe the trial of your faith, maybe that's uh, within the realm of the will of God for your life. Maybe God's doing something to you. That's hard to accept sometimes, isn't it? Think it not strange. These things are going to come. The reason why? Psalm 66, 10. Amen. Thou hast proved us. Thou hast tried us. His silver is tried. You suppose before God can do anything further in your life that He has to prove you or test you to see that you're going to be able to contain the, the thing that He has for your life? Amen. Let's uh, get uh, Matthew 10, 22. He that what? Endureth to the end shall be saved. Not he that endureth a quarter of the way through. Not he that endures halfway through. Not he that endures ninety-eight and uh, nine-tenths of the way through. But he that endureth unto the end shall be saved. He that finishes the process that God is working in his life. He that will go through the whole thing. Amen. James uh, 1.12 Blessed is the man that endureth temptation. Oh, beloved, you're looking at a blessed man this morning. <laughs> Glory to God. I know none of you ever tempted, but I'm blessed this morning. Praise God. Now, let's not confuse temptations with trials. The Bible says God doesn't tempt men with sin. 
So let's don't anybody go out of here and say, uh, if we have an ungodly temptation from the devil coming against us, God sent that my way to see if I was going to be able to make it. You know, we think God's like uh, we were when we were children. You know, you remember uh, when you were a sadistic little kid, you'd get a bowl of water and throw a little ant in the middle of it. And that little critter, he'd come stroking in there. <laughs> he'd just get up to the edge and you'd push him back out. He'd come just swimming in there again. and You'd push him back out, just waiting to see how many times he could make it before he drowned. A lot of people think God's that way. Amen. God, he's just out there. He says, here comes Harris again. He's, he's on the tenth lap. Lord, give me a break. Let me, let me come in this time. And poof, he pushes you back out there, going under for the third time. See, God doesn't do that, friend. Amen. One of the most beautiful stories in the Bible is the story of Mary of Bethany as she came and fell at Jesus' feet. He said, Lord, if you'd have been here, my brother would have lived. Now, Jesus could have laughed at her, you know. That's what I'd have done. That's the kind of guy I am. I'd, I'd have chuckled and, and said, look at this little chump. You know, she doesn't even realize that I came to raise her brother from the dead. She's going to be howling in just about a minute. I'm going to blow her mind. And here she was, heartbroken, and all the Jews were weeping and crying around there. The Bible says that Jesus looked upon this trial of Mary of Bethany's faith that he wept. See, God doesn't relish the pain that is necessary sometimes to develop and enlarge our hearts and increase our capacity to believe. Amen? He doesn't relish that. But it was necessary. And the Bible said that Jesus had compassion when He looked upon the trial of this woman's uh, faith. Amen? Okay, Revelation 21, 7. He that overcomes shall inherit all things. You see, there's the final work of this progressive sanctification. Is when we've overcome. Now, this progressive sanctification, this act of sanctification that's going on in our lives through the trials and conflicts of our faith uh, and, and through the, the type of things that are developing holiness in us. Where's this all going to end? What's the last stage of sanctification? Somebody tell me. Amen. It's complete then. Where else is it complete? We will be like Him. When? When He appears. Somebody else. There's one other place where it ends. Amen. It actually all ends right there at the rapture, doesn't it? But I believe that that sanctification process is through. It's over with. It's complete. When the Lord either comes or we die. You know, one of the most beautiful things that the Lord ever showed me about the flesh was... I, and I always had trouble. I'm, Lord, why do men have to die? He said, he said listen, Jack. He said, men do not die. <laughs> Their flesh does. <laughs> That's really tremendous. Here's this old corrupt, ugly uh, thing that we've had to wrestle with. 
all of our all of our lives. You, you know, do you cherish that old flesh and that, that old nature, that old evil thing that you got to fight and wrestle with, and and that this process of sanctification is is, uh, is 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 working out of you? I don't like it. I want to be free of it. I like old Paul. Paul says, "Wretched man, where am I going to be free from this body of death?" Amen. And. Uh, uh, I got to thinking, well, man, that's not such a bad thing to die. That's a fitting punishment for that dirty beggar that's been fighting me all these years. Amen. He ought to die. Bury him in the ground. I, I'm just going to crawl out of this shell when I die and go to be with Jesus. Wait for a new body. See, that's the beautiful thing is, is when he raises up my body, that thing that we call the flesh is going to stay in the grave. Amen. That old evil nature, it's going to die. It's going to be gone. That process of sanctification is going to be forever completed. I'm going to be set apart for eternity. Glory, Glory to God. I'm not going to have to worry about it anymore. Amen. No more battles. It's going to be over. I tell you, I wouldn't want to go to heaven if I thought I had to fight my flesh for eternity. <laughs> Walk around with that old nasty booger that lives inside with me have to duel with that devil all the time? Come on, would you want to spend eternity that way? Thank God there's an end to this sanctification where we will be with the Lord. And the process will be finished. We'll be forever set apart. The holy children of God. Amen. I want to throw this scripture in. 1 John 1, 7 says, If we walk in the light... As He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanseth us from all sin. That literally means that as if we walk in the light, if we're going through this continual process of progressive sanctification, that uh, the blood of Jesus Christ continues or literally keeps on cleansing us. Amen? Amen? Does everybody get that? I didn't get an amen out of that. Was that not communicated clearly? The Bible says that if we walk in the light, if we will uh, submit to this progressive sanctification, as our sister over here said, God said, I'm going to sanctify you and set you apart. But then it becomes your responsibility to sanctify yourself. He said that sanctifying yourself means you're going to walk in the light. He says if you walk in the light... If you'll obey my word, if you'll submit to the thing that I'm doing in your life, he said, then the blood of Jesus Christ, which has cleansed you from sin, is going to continue and keep on cleansing you from sin until the process is completely finished. Amen. Does that get you excited? Somebody got some comments on this? Some feedback you want to add? Sister Mayo. Amen. That's an excellent thought. There's, everybody thinks there's a certain time when we're going to walk into sanctification. You know, it's like stepping through a door. All of a sudden, uh, you step into the shower and you're sanctified. You turn on the water and you step out and you dry yourself out. And you say, from this day forward, I am sanctified. Okay, we're going to have to wrap this up. We were sanctified and set apart 
and made holy when Jesus died for us and we receive that. Amen? But there's a process of sanctification that's going on right now through the trials of our faith, through the testings of our, our Christian walk, and through our own response in obedience and submission to the Word of God. Amen? There's a beautiful scripture. We'll close with this. I think it's almost time to close, isn't it? Leviticus 20, uh, 7 and 8 says, Sanctify yourself, therefore, and be ye holy. You sanctify yourselves, therefore, and you be holy. For I am the Lord your God, and you shall keep my statutes and do them. And I am the Lord which sanctifieth you. In other words, if you'll sanctify yourselves and obey me and keep my statutes, if you'll live according to my word and put your faith and your trust in the blood of my Son, which has redeemed you, he said, if you'll sanctify and set yourselves apart, he said, then I'll look upon you with favor, and as your God, I'll sanctify you unto myself. I'll set you apart for eternity. Amen. That's the best I can do on it this morning. Praise the Lord. God bless you.